0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Extra Rounds podcast. As always, I'm Mike Dice. This is Elias Cepeda. He was on vacation in Europe for the past two weeks, so I was left to do the show by myself, but he is back now. And we're uh, back together as a duo. How was the trip?
1: It was good. It was good. I missed you guys. I was uh, jealous of uh, Jose Youngs. So we got to, to jump on here. And I'm excited he's going to be on, and I get to join your guys' party uh, yeah. this week. But no, it was a great trip. I got to do some kickboxing training up in, uh, in, in the Netherlands with Stefan Birkenpas over at the Kyoko Gym. Uh, he's, just, he's one of the best coaches in uh, in the Netherlands. And if you, you know anything about fighting, you know that uh, Dutch folks are some of the best kickboxers in the world. He, works, he worked with uh, Bigfoot Silva before... He, uh, he fought and beat Al- Alice Wolverine. He works at Charles Rosa, a really good dude, and went to a few other countries, too. So I ate a lot of, a lot of bread, a lot of cheese. Uh, it, was, it was a good time. It was a good time. My first time in, uh, in Europe. Well,
0: we're, we're happy to have you back. You've missed a lot. You yeah. missed 204. You missed Ronda Rousey's return. I don't you know. It. I, was, I, I haven't looked at the news oh, you yet. At <laughs> yeah, it? yeah, no. The two hundred five. No, uh, no I'm, I've been I've been plugged in. The two hundred five press conference. I don't know if you were gone for that or if you were here for no, that. I, I was. Uh, I think I was gone, but I, I watched it. Um, anyways, the GSP. There's been a lot that's going on. So let's go oh, ahead yeah. and bring uh, Jose Youngs onto the phone. I think he's on the line waiting. Jose, are you there? What is up,
2: brothers?
0: Oh, look at this. The, the triumphant trios together. <laughs> um, well, first of all, Jose, thank you for uh, taking the time out to join the show out of your work workday. Uh, really appreciate it. Jose, for those of you who don't know, uh, writes for Fan amongst other places, uh, part of Sports Illustrated MMA. He also writes for Flow Combat and uh, a billion other places, it seems like. Um, Prolific. Yes.
1: And he's got way... He's definitely got the best hair of, of any of us. That's why we kept him off camera, by the way. We don't want to be shy. I don't know, on.
3: man. My hair's pretty green right
1: now. Is it? <laughs> I say it's yeah, cool. Guess,
3: it looks good. You were, in, you were in Europe, and you missed, <laughs> you missed a whole lot
0: outside of the Oh, whiteboard. man. Yeah, if you, if you want to see his hair, you can check out his Instagram. The The picture we used for you in the lower third is from your Facebook, which was pre-hair dyeing. Uh, yeah. Anyways, well, let's uh, jump right into it. We wanted to uh, talk to you some things about, you. Uh, you know, some of the big MMA topics. The first thing that I figured we would talk about is uh, GSP. He went on Ariel's show on Monday, uh, said that he was a free agent, that his lawyer terminated his contract with the UFC after failing to reach a negotiation or reach a deal to bring him back. Uh, he really wanted to fight on the 204 card or 206 card in Toronto, which everybody seemed like a, a given. Um, so I'll throw this to the two of you, whoever wants to go first. Uh, what are your initial thoughts to the whole interview on Air, on ariel hawani's show go ahead Jose.
3: well call me off guard i knew they were gsp and uh USC president Dana white had been basically going back and forth through the media uh gsp was on USC tonight saying uh dana white like like doesn't know me like that uh he's not a fighter this and that and it seems like every time gsp's name was brought up Dana would say uh his heart's not in it i don't him ever coming back and then literally within hours gsp would respond with i want to come back so it was it was, a, it was a back and forth war through the media which is which is bizarre considering like it just flashing back three years ago uh, uh george saint Pierre is headlining the ufc's 20th anniversary show uh, dana white's going uh, to press conference saying george is the biggest pay-per-view draw we've ever had He was on UFC 100. He was the face of the Canadian market and all of MMA, not just UFC. uh, Headlines that that giant card against Jake Shields, and he was pretty much UFC's golden boy. So it it is a little. It's very very bizarre to see how much of a change happened over the last three years.
1: Yeah, it really it really is. Um, It's things I guess have been have been changing probably. Beneath the current for a long time, you know. You, you want to think to George's last, his his last fight when he fought Johnny Hendricks. After, after the fight, he says he was kept from the post fight press conference by UFC uh, officials, and uh, Dana White really threw him under the bus with for no good reason in that post fight press conference. Heck, go back before that. Actually, I'm sure George didn't like when um, when the UFC changed their sponsorship situation in a major way even before Reebok years ago, and George's major sponsor affliction back then, he wasn't able to represent them in the ring, so he wore black shorts, so there's been a lot of tension. George, back in the day, uh, took the Michael Jordan model of not really talking, out being outspoken about any issues, and uh, and he didn't really speak up back then, but he's clearly been irritated. Dana White, yeah, like like Jose said, has, has really been upping the ante. Uh, Really, I think speaking in my opinion, speaking out of turn, uh, and uh, he he started basically playing this negotiating game through the media. George, to his credit, realized that and um, and decided to frame the issue himself. When I saw that, that was the day I got back um, actually home. Um, the MMA Hour, Ariel hawani had George on, and George says, "I'm a free agent," and I knew right then and there that who, who George's next opponent was going to be and was going to be the UFC. Um, predictably, if Hours later, the UFC came out and said, No, he's not a free agent. Uh, it was George's lawyers and himself have a different view than the UFC and their lawyers. And we've seen situations like this before, like in 2008, I believe, Randy Couture wanted to fight. Fedor Melianenko. Rand- Randy, I believe, was the reigning heavyweight champion. Again, at that point, the UFC didn't sign Fedor, who was a former Pride champ. Randy said, "Well, I'm gonna, I want to split, I want to go somewhere else." So he retired, and he thought that would give him the ability to go somewhere else. His lawyers told him that would give him the ability to to fight elsewhere. The UFC disagreed. They sued him. They battled out for a long time. The UFC ended up winning. Uh, if if both sides remain intractable here that's that's where we're bound i wrote i wrote about this a bit in my weekly column over at uh, mixedmartialarts.com and and i think uh it's a very interesting situation because george's situation is a lot different than anything we've seen before one he actually is probably one of if not the most well-funded he could put up one of the most well-funded uh legal battles that any mma fighter has ever been able to to do uh, because the ufc has has been in legal battles with fighters before and on behalf of fighters, um, he can actually he can actually mount some type of uh, some type of fight, some type of sustained fight. And also, there's some issues now that have never really been discussed, um, things like the the Reebok deal and the fact that George George's current UFC contract, or past, if you believe George and his lawyers. Um, was signed before the Reebok deal took place. They obviously feel some... It either invalidates it or requires some type of readjusting in order for him to to have to either wear Reebok. And again, the big deal here is that he's an Under Armour athlete, which is a big deal uh, for him. Um, So it's a weird situation. A lot of things, if both sides continue to fight, can really end up being settled. Uh, So really core issues, like fighters being considered independent contractors, but having a lot uh, mandated of them, and so maybe some particular things
0: like the Reebok deal. See, I don't know about you, Jose, but me, I don't I don't see the Under Armour deal... I know a lot of people point your fingers at that, and it was probably most definitely a hurdle, but I don't see it being something that would prevent it from happening. He's, the fighters are uh, sponsored by apparel lines all the time, you know what I mean? Like, Sage Northcutt's social media timelines, like Labrata nothing but that you know um yeah but
3: but you could also think about like when demetrius johnson was sponsored by xbox as soon as the reebok deal showed up and it was it was revealed that demetrius johnson would no longer be allowed to wear his xbox gear xbox or microsoft pulled sponsorship so maybe that's on under Armour's thing where like if you're not
0: gonna
3: be able to wear our gear then you're not a sponsor you're not going to be sponsored anymore
0: that's a that's a very valid
1: point. That's what George has been basically saying is that uh, he's making more money now than he was when he was fighting. And so if, they, if he's going to come back to fight and lose money, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So they've got to they've got to figure something out. I don't know. If you guys remember back in the the Dream Team, the original one, Michael Jordan uh, was obviously Nike sponsored, and I think it was Reebok at the time. I think it was, which would be it's kind of funny. They were they were doing the uniforms for the Olympic team and. Their warm-up gear, when they were accepting the medal, he didn't want to have to represent Reebok. And that wasn't even a situation yeah. where Nike would That's have dropped to get uh, a towel over. Yeah. He wore, the
0: flag. The flag. He wore the, flag. the flag. the flag was the flag. I, I said towel, yeah. Flag, yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a question coming in the, uh, the chat on the Facebook Live. So we'll throw this to you, Jose, since you are the expert on the show sharing your knowledge with us. Mike wants to know, do you guys believe there's a chance GSP fights in the UFC again?
3: Absolutely. I think money talks and, uh, I mean, you saw like, well, Chris, we- Chris Wyman came out and said, uh, like the deal for the UFC 205 part, like him and Dana were just not seeing eye to eye. They were just butting heads over his contract. And then Dana White called Lorenzo Fertitta, the old UFC boss to come in and basically come back to work in Dana's quotes, uh, Dana's quotes and figure something out. And, uh, I don't know if that's the case with George. George said he was working with Lorenzo before the sale. So if, if, Chris can, if Lorenzo Petita can convince Chris to come back, then maybe Dana will find... Like, maybe there's a way GSP can. But I would never say never. George has been with the UFC for, like, 10 years, basically. Uh, I It'd be hard to envision him going anywhere else. But to say that he'll never fight in the UFC again, I, I can't say that.
0: Do you think... Let's focus on this one comment. He said that the part of the the issue that the new owners gave him was that it would cost too much money to reintroduce him to the MMA market. <laughs> thoughts on what that? What a weird statement. <laughs> that, that <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much the extent of my thoughts. This, this my is opinion. the
1: kind of stuff that that um, that <laughs> that ownership uh, tells fighters during negotiations. They tell them absurd things to try to. Uh, Distort, or they'll maybe believe accurately present their market value. They want to drive that low. They want to drive their confidence low as well. They want to be op- negotiating from a point of strength, while the while the labor is is, is not so much. Um, yeah, I think that's an interesting thing that is hard to, um, I guess, disprove, right? Because George is going to have to show, or maybe he's not interested in, in making this argument. If he isn't, good for him. Uh, but he would have to show all sorts of metrics outside of of his being able to be on television fighting for the last few years that, that, that could disprove them. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like a bunch of hard-line negotiating tactics to me at this point. But, yeah, they, you, you talk to fighters, or even, even they, they say a lot of things publicly now. Um, you hear these absurd, absurd things that are, are like, really try to drive down the, uh, the value of,
0: uh, of fighters in, in the public eye. So um, on that, this is my thing. For those people who watch wrestling, Goldberg just came back for the first time in like 12 years. Yeah. He has like a kid who's 12 who's never seen him in the ring. He's been gone that long. And they remembered him. So they bring him out to promote a video game, and it costs zero money to reintroduce him. Zero. Right. You know, there's kids who are like going into their teens. You know, or teenagers who don't even remember Goldberg being in the cage, and not an issue at all. Right. And they're using it to sell a pay per view. Yeah, and so the same thing with like GSP. It's like even if there's MMA fans who are new to the sport who didn't watch him during his first run, you're you're going to now that you're paying attention to the media, you're going to learn just watching the people who were here for it discuss it you know what i mean
1: absolutely and they own all his fight footage all his major fight footage that's that's the thing where package reels made exactly (laughs) gsp gsp's management if they're still talking to the ufc i would love to have them say okay uh ufc ownership tell us the second sentence in this argument but tell us how much it's going to cost and why like really break that down line item us how expensive it is to reintroduce him
0: Yeah, I don't get it at all. Well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Uh, Chael Sonnen versus Tito Ortiz was announced. Bellator at the Forum in January. Uh, First of all, Jose, are you excited for this fight? Do you want to see this fight? Uh,
3: That is an interesting question. I mean, in terms of... It's a Bellator. I I wouldn't want to see it in the UFC. Bellator, sure, why not? I mean, if they're going to give us... Boyce Gracie and Ken Shamrock and Kimbo Slice versus Dada 5000. And yeah, sure, I'll watch it in those. Well. So especially if it's free, it's on Spike TV. I mean, it's in LA, so I'll be there. Uh, I don't think I'd pay a pay-per-view money to see this fight in the UFC, especially with, with uh, these two elder statements, statesmen of, of mixed martial arts. But yeah, I'll watch it. I mean, they're, they're two of the most popular fighters of all time. you got the American Gangster versus the, the Huntington Beach Bad Boy, uh, two of the best talkers, two of the best promoters. Uh, so the hype and the lead-up to this fight is definitely going to be uh, one of the um, interesting. Uh, they're going to bring in the the casual fans who just remember Chael Sonnen from his trash-talking and his, his Fox Sports and his his, tr- his fights with Anderson. And then everybody knows Tito Ortiz. I mean, he fought Stefan Bonner, and that was one of the highest-rated shows in Bellator history. Just imagine what Tito Ortiz can pull in against Chael Sonnen. So, yeah, I'll watch it 100%.
1: Yeah, it's a good distinction. I will watch it in Bellator. I will watch it for free. That's that's good. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Well,
0: I think that's a fair argument people make anytime that they do a uh, they do a show. They want to, you know, am I going to pay for this pay per view? That was a mm-hmm. big talking point heading into UFC two hundred four. Um, you know, it's kind of in the, it's kind of back into the same mold and the, the the kind of fight that a lot of people give Bellator a hard time for. But at the same time, it's something that I w- would be interested in seeing. Like I'm interested in seeing Chael Sonnen come back. Yeah, if they promised, like, to wrestle, I'd,
1: I'd like this even more. Like, two good wrestlers. I wanted I want to see these two guys grapple. Like, I hope it's not, like, a really like no disrespect. I hope it's not. Like when I'll,
3: Josh Kostek fought Matt Hughes and it was just a minute. Yeah, uh, yeah so,
1: exactly. I, I'd love to see these guys in, in their strongest suits, see who can go, you know, who, who's better. I, that's always fun to me. Guys of the same age
0: and the same background. That would be cool. And uh, moving on to a different topic. We talked about this uh, right after it was announced, actually, with Jose when you were gone. Elias enjoying vacation. We don't, <laughs> we don't know what that is. But uh, um, Ronda <laughs> you were in Cleveland for sixteen weeks straight partying, so yeah. don't talk to me, man. <laughs> Cleveland, the party <laughs> capital of the world. Ronda Rousey is returning to a seven to fight Amanda Nunes, and uh, there's been some backlash from people like Juliana Pena. Is upset. She called her a spoiled brat and a bunch of other things. Um, and then Dana White said that part of Ronda Rousey's issue. In her return, or delaying her return, was the media. Jose, you're the face of MMA media. Do you do you believe this?
3: That like that Dana's like blaming the media for Rousey's issues.
0: Do you believe that Ronda's uh, is, The media. I don't. I don't want to. I don't. I don't like the. Not even just
3: this situation. I don't like it when anyone just paints. An entire group of people, which is like one brush. I mean, I'm sure there are definitely media members out there that that like poked Rhonda and called her out and this and that. And whether you want to call the media or bloggers, or what, especially in this age when everyone has a voice on social media, I think there's a difference between all the Twitter trolls that have been calling out Rhonda and the actual media. Because I, as far as i as far as I've seen, I haven't seen too many legitimate media that covers the UFC for a living but bashing Ronda Rousey like yeah there's been some uh, some, um, some opinion pieces some columns there's been I'm sure there's been the, the fair share of people who t- like talks privately about like Ronda but as far as Ronda just saying the media is like to blame or everything I, I never liked it when anyone paints any group of people with one brush let alone something I'm part of so I, I don't know it's if that's what Ronda's saying, maybe she needs it as motivation. She she is one of those like you've seen it in the past when she squared off against Holly Holmes, she she tried to make herself fired up by calling out Holly. And maybe this is that maybe she just needs to hate someone to to get back in the fighting mindset. But just from what I've seen, I haven't seen too many or if at all uh, at legitimate MMA media uh, bashing Ronda Rousey like like they're claiming.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I listen. Dana White was doing what Donald Trump does with the media before Donald Trump was was on the the political scene at a national level, and they're good friends, and they have very, very similar styles. And one of the main things they do is try to um, just vilify the media all the time. You know, Dana White will vilify the media at the same time as he books UFC fighters to go on TMZ. So it's Jose brings up the most important points. I I was just going to say, and I agree with him, I was just going to say I don't... I don't know that I would believe that that's the big issue for Ronda. Dana White, like while she was still saying she couldn't chew a piece of fruit, was saying, oh, I, I talked to Ronda. She's ready to go. She's ready to fight again after she lost Holly Holmes. So I, I think he, he's wrong to, to, to paint with such a broad brush. He does it often. And I don't know that what he's saying would even be... Do we have any reason to believe it's even true that, that it's important to Ronda Rousey because he, he lies a lot? Um
0: we have one question I guess we'll wrap up with this uh, that came across the things and this has been a big talking point that I've seen come around social media lately so it's kind of an interesting question bigger star Rousey or McGregor what do you think I'll say
3: hmm that was an interesting question yeah, that's a I mean, tough in one. terms of in terms of the casual fans I'm going to have to say Rhonda um, she's on the, she was the she was on the cover of the Sports Illustrated she's the face of all of these uh clothing lines i would say in the casualized ronda but as far as the fight world i think a lot more people are, are intrigued by connor right now especially because he's going after history with the two belts so casual fans ronda fight fans i'll say connor just because he's he is a fighting champion i know everyone likes to 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 go after connor for like skipping lines and picking his fights, but it's not like he's saying, oh, I want to fight, like, next year. I mean, what, this is his fourth, third fight in the last 12 months? So, yeah, Conor's a bigger star um, amongst the fight fans, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. I think Conor probably sells more pay-per-views, Well, he definitely sells more pay-per-views, but I don't think he's yet made the inroads into the mainstream and the general consciousness as Ronda Rousey has. Like. My my, my mother-in-law talks about Ronda Rousey. I don't think she's ever mentioned Conor McGregor yet, but, you know, Ronda's really been out there the last couple years between the films and interviews and stuff like that. So, yeah, it it depends, I guess, how you classify it, right? If you're looking at pay-per-views, Conor McGregor's selling more, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. He also had Nate Diaz to help him out, right? But if you're looking at just general awareness of a
0: figure in the mainstream, it's probably Ronda Rousey. Well, when you can talk about the pay-per-view guys, like, Ronda Rousey's been used to help buoy other people's pay- pay-per-views, yeah. whereas Conor McGregor has been giving incredible undercard fights, like, 194 had uh, Weidman Rockhold, sure. 196 had Tate Holm, uh, 202.
3: 189 unless, is
0: the greatest main card ever. Yeah, Yeah, Lawler uh, McDonald. That's a good point. You know, so he's gotten a lot of help, too. Yeah. From some stacked cards, two or two, I don't think a lot of people thought was necessarily a stacked card. It was a good card. But Nate Diaz but, is a gigantic star. Yeah, so. well, yeah. that and the way that everything that happened the first fight, yeah. like they didn't need that going into right. this one because, I mean, it was his first rematch in the UFC, and there was this huge storyline him trying to come back. So, um, anyways, Jose, thank you for taking the time out to join us. Uh, we know you're busy. Uh, let the people know where they can find you on social media.
3: Uh, you can just follow me at Jose Youngs, U N G S on pretty much every single social media out there. So I'm easy to find. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks again for taking the time out to talk to us. Thanks brother.
3: See
0: ya. There we have it. He's a he's great man. I really like his work. He's a, he's a really hard worker and, uh, you know, I originally met him at a USC event and got yeah. to know him over, um, going to different events. And I mean, he works incredibly hard, and uh, there's not many people who work as hard as he does. He's he's got a a great future, it um, does ahead of him. He's insightful too, man. Yeah, he's got he's you know insightful. He's been a fan of the sport for a long time and knows a lot of things. And he has like, a great ability to recall things quickly too. As we kind of saw in a couple conversations, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I might have to think and look something up. Same because here. He's just like, you know, he's. We got a guy in the office, Matt, who's that way with the NFL. He can just, you know, oh, who was in the 1985, you know, uh, <laughs> AFL championship game? Here's these people. <laughs> uh, I used to be that way with, like, the,
1: the, the, the Bulls dynasties back when I was a kid. About 15 years after, though, I stopped being able to recall uh, everything. But I, I had all sorts of arbitrary facts about the Bulls
0: can't do it with anything else though i respect these guys again <laughs> so uh we have a lot of people watching and uh, i think a lot of people are eager to um <clears throat> hear what conor mcgregor has to say so uh before joseph benavidez who's a coach this season on the ultimate fighter joins us at two thirty central time three thirty eastern uh just wanted to play a little bit of the interview and then we'll play the rest of it after uh the interview with uh Mr. Benavides, uh, basically, I interviewed him this weekend as part of a promotional uh, blitz for his role in the uh, video game Call of Duty, um, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. He's got a character in the show, as is Kit Harrington, who plays on um, Game of Thrones. He's Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. He also has a character on the show. They're actually on the same side team. I don't know if that's what you, what you, more uh, teams. Yeah. So, anyways. <laughs> We uh, talked to him about that Amongst some other UFC topics But I kind of wanted to just go ahead And while we're waiting and killing time Go ahead and play that Because I know a lot of people are eager to hear what he has to say So the first uh, one of the questions that I asked Was uh, how long have you been a fan of Call of Duty And what is it about the game That you love so much And this is what he had to say
2: You know, I was actually
0: And I want to apologize again Because he was in a conference room And uh, on speakerphone. he was on speakerphone So the quality is not the best But uh, this is what he had to say obsessed with this game. College of the Black Ops, when I came out,
2: I was in an apartment with my girlfriend, and I'd be literally up all night, and she'd wake up at like six, half 6, 6.30 a.m. in the morning, to get ready to go to work, and I'd still be up playing the game. And when she'd wake up, I'd know, like, now it's time to go to bed and not go on any longer. So then I'd go to sleep, and then she'd come back. She wait. She come back from work, and then I know, okay, now she finished work. Now it's time to get up, and then off I go again. I go training for two hours, and then I come back and I be playing the game all night until 6:30 a.m. And that was a process that went uh, went through for a long while. I was actually hooked on the game. So the opportunity came to present itself for me to be in the game. I thought it's all over. It. Um, it's it's literally the only two the only two games i have honest here. Really we played like religiously. Like I played some football games. I played games like. The Grand Theft Auto's Metal Gear Solid. I've played games growing up, but the few games that I really got hooked on, the main one was Call of Duty, but then also the UFC game, Five Friends, out we compete and have little tournaments and stuff like that. But they, they were the two ones that we were really obsessed with, and now I'm involved in them, so it's been a crazy a crazy ride on, on this journey.
0: So I followed that question up by asking him, uh, do the fighter, when some, when an opportunity comes like this and you're a big fan of something, do you use your celebrity to reach out and be like, I'm a fan, mm. can I get involved? Or do they reach out to you? because you're Conor McGregor. Yeah. And he was kind of like, exactly. <laughs>
3: they reach out to me because I'm Conor McGregor.
0: He didn't say it in those exact words, but it's basically what he said. He's like, exactly. They they come to me. They put the offer in front of me. He's like, you know, I've had a lot of offers and then I get to pick and choose what I want, which is uh, really, really interesting. Um, so let me see if I can get Joseph Benavidez on the line.
1: Yeah, I think uh, these, I'm always so torn with these types of interviews. You know, a lot of times, it's it may be tough to get certain fighters on the line, uh, except for when they've got something to promote. And so you've got to you've got to talk about that thing that they're promoting in addition to uh, the other you know more uh, substantive current event stuff, which we do get into um, later. Connor does get into them later. Mike talked about him with, with some interesting stuff. Uh, but at, at least in this situation, like it's real. It's legitimate. Connor <laughs> seems to. Uh, he sounded pretty excited when he said he used to stay up all night uh, like a true gamer. Uh, playing Call of Duty. So even though they came to him, that's probably a, uh, a pretty cool uh, opportunity for him. That he's one that he's pretty stoked. I know there's a lot of interesting uh, politics with sports games um, that started when uh, you know, one of the O'Bannon brothers, I can't remember uh, which one, unfortunately, but played at UCLA. Uh, he started this, this lawsuit going after EA Sports um, because he didn't get any royalties from them playing. And, you know, fighters now, obviously, UFC fighters, um, they, you know, they get royalties from UFC, uh, the UFC video games, but it's they don't have any say in, in what those royalties are. But we know from talking to fighters over the years that they really get a kick out of, um, these financial issues aside, whether they're satisfied or not satisfied, I'm sure it depends. They really get a kick out of being able to see themselves in a game. So Conor McGregor is now going to be in an, at least a second video game. He's, he's in there fighting in a UFC game, and now he's in Call of Duty, uh, the two games that he really uh, grew up loving to play. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's definitely something you could pass down. You know, If you get kids one day, you, you could play as your, as your dad or your
0: mom. That's a, that's a pretty rad thing so uh just to let everybody know we uh, called joseph benavidez he uh, didn't pick up so we're just kind of waiting for him to call back and uh talk to us um in the meantime that means we can keep going with conor mcgregor so uh i asked a bunch of questions about call of duty but i only wanted to share two of them before getting to some of the other ufc related topics that we talked about the uh other ufc question i wanted to share with you get or call of duty question that i wanted to share with uh the viewers is was it hard to film scenes uh in an essentially empty room for those mm. of you who didn't see the pictures that he shared of him filming the game he's in the suit with like the little dots on oh, him. motion capture yeah, yeah and he's like and it's basically an empty room and he's trying to act but you know when you're acting on a sitcom or a movie well maybe not all movies but like you have usually visual cues yeah you set, got someone in front of you person to talk to a set stuff to uh, reference uh, when you, as you're trying to get into this role and essentially pretend to be something so was it hard to film uh, scenes in an empty room by himself
2: you know it was actually alright to be honest they just wanted you know they, they directed me well just, they said they wanted something I just wanted to do it the best I could and you know, that acting game freaks me the fuck out to be honest I don't I don't know why but and this one didn't feel like that it was just kind of it felt like I was just playing and I mean, went over and pretend to kick this guy in the head and hit him with a gun and grab him by the neck and tell him this not nose and uh, it just felt like felt like fun or something. It didn't feel weird. Usually some sometimes they try and get me to do these things they feel weird to me, but uh, and this one this one didn't. It was it was different, so may, maybe it was because I was all in the in the, in the in the suit and I knew it was gonna be in game form, I just felt a little bit more relaxed with myself. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. And and usually Usually in in those situations, like, uh, it's not the most enjoyable thing for me. But I actually really enjoy this. I can't wait to actually see the game. You know, hopefully we can get to, get the game on mm-hmm. and, and see what actually looks like and see what those things I've seen like clips of the scenes that I'm uh, but obviously I want
0: to see the whole thing. And, and what he was talking about there is that uh, they were going to do a beta test of the game uh, online with players, and he was going to sit there and actually play online. And he put like his PlayStation username or whatever out there so people could try and play with him in this game, and uh, it got so overwhelmed with requests to be a part of it that uh, it sh- basically shut the system down. So That's crazy. He didn't get to. I was really looking to hear what he had to say about uh, about it. I, you know, I can't remember if he touched about it in the first question, um, but I know we talked about it. Is that uh, I asked him if he still played online yeah. and if he had like a secret user yeah, handle yeah. where he could you know so everyone in the world doesn't know that it's <laughs> him you know oh at the notorious mma's in this game right. but he uh he said he doesn't he doesn't have time to with everything uh-huh. he does uh so he was looking forward to getting to play online because it's something he hadn't done in such a long time
1: that's yeah, too bad he didn't get to there was a uh, a really cool memory back in jeez i don't remember what year you have to look the tough five ultimate fighter season five jen's Pulver and BJ penn were Coaching, I forget exactly what year it was, but after the season had aired, uh, Jens Pulver and BJ Penn uh, were, were were set to uh, to fight for the second time. They fought years earlier when Jens um, was champion, and pulled up to Jens Pulver's Iowa house, and he was playing online with with uh, with fans, and his username was something like crow crop uh but that was pretty cool a lot of these fighters do enjoy playing uh video games and they enjoy playing with their
0: fans so that's that's kind of a dope thing to be able to do i imagine at both uh, ends. cormier was on some show maybe it was Ariel's show was uh talking about he was playing he stopped playing 2k17 to go on the show and he quit on a guy in the middle of the game because he was losing and he had it was time for him to do the interview <laughs> So um I know like Des Bryant who plays for the Cowboys, yeah. he plays he like if you follow him on Twitter, he's always he a very avid Madden player and he That's cool. He takes on people like online all the time. <laughs> like they send him his name, they'll talk trash on Twitter and that's stuff, pretty it's pretty entertaining. Cool. I think that's cool it's a cool way to bridge yeah. the gap. Like not only are you um you know, you can Essentially, communicate with any pro athlete via social media, but when you're playing a game, like you have that person's attention for a period of time and you can um, talk to them and interact with them, especially in a game like Madden or something where it's like a one on one thing. You know, Call of Duty, it becomes a room and there's Mm -hmm. like a lot of people, so that's hard, but when you have uh, this one on one thing like in madden it's interesting so yeah, i can only
1: uh, imagine you know i've never i, I don't play a video games much i play madden but i've never played online so i don't even know what it's like to play with like quote-unquote regular people it's got to be crazy to be able to do it with a, someone you're when a fan when i was
0: of. younger i played call of duty yeah. years, but i haven't played like in five six years yeah. or something but yeah it, it's crazy that would be cool um so uh i wrote a story about the quote uh this quote this weekend on sports illustrated um and I asked uh, asked Conor McGregor about Ronda Rousey and her return to UFC 207 because I said uh, their stories parallel each other. Mm. Um, There's a lot of similarities between what uh, they're going through. You know, Conor was a champion who was viewed as invincible and uh, he suffered a stunning loss to Nate Diaz and came back and had to come back and, you know, correct that loss and kind of regain his stature and his mind. Not that necessarily he lost it, but that was the storyline anyways. So Ronda Rousey you know, undefeated, invincible, uh, most dominant fighter on the planet, loses in stunning fashion, very convincingly. Uh, it's gone for a year, and now she's trying to come back. So there's a parallel there. So I asked him, uh, having gone through that, what advice would he give Ronda Rousey uh, ahead of her mm-hmm. return at UFC 207? And this is what he had to say. Um, you know, I felt how to show
2: them all now. Don't shut them up now. Don't, don't take a claim again. So I, w- I wish them to, n- nothing but the best. Good, it's good to see her back. You know, some people can take wins and losses a certain way, and, you know, and you see, you see how some people take losses. See, you know, so and I'm happy she, she's she's ready to go again, and, and I wish her well. Don't, don't shut these people up now. Don't, don't get, do get what what you began back. So.
0: I'm to see how it unfolds. Uh, so basically saying go shut them all up and get your uh, get your bell back and you know take your throne back so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was simple but uh, powerful. You know what I mean? I think when he did somebody, Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, he doesn't need to come in and be like, you need to keep your hand up. Right, hit.
3: right, you know, right. But
0: um, certainly he can relate to the, the media scrutiny, yeah, uh, which we talked about with Jose, what Dana White was talking about, and his advice is simply, you know, just go and shut them all up. Yeah. And I, I thought that was powerful in a weird way. Yeah, you've got to
1: probably do weird things in your head once you become famous, because it's got to be, uh, unless you're some type of weird... Egomaniac or uh, narcissist—it's got to be really hard to be famous, even if no one's out, quote unquote, to get you, um, and or there's you know no big movement against you. Uh, there's just there's just a lot that you have to deal with: the loss of privacy, um, big spotlight gets hot, magnifying glass gets annoying, I imagine. Um, so yeah, I think it's something kind of relates to, and and that's probably like a, a broad but very profound thing that you need to do. You need to turn the negative parts of that fame into motivation for yourself. The, the negativity needs to just be something that you could shut down and shut up.
0: All right, here's uh, Joseph Benavides calling in. Hey, Joe, how are you?
4: Guys, I'm so sorry, I was all, got busy here making lunch in the kitchen and stuff and just uh, forgot about it.
1: No worries, on. what you're making, man? What you're making for lunch?
4: I was just like Well I got this espresso maker I was setting up Then I just made this Like avocado toast And you know Then I was cleaning Dishes and shit
1: I feel like uh, People People are uh, I I woke up one day And everyone Was talking about Avocado toast I've been having Avocado sandwiches My whole life I guess I was lucky And ahead of the curve I've been putting Avocado on bread And other things My whole freaking life How about you?
4: Nah, I kind of came around to it. And Now I literally just make it with a, like a sandwich with a bunch of avocado, but I'll put like feta cheese, olive oil, um, chili flakes on the avocado, and then I'll just throw like a, a, a piece of like nice turkey on it. Nice. It's basically just a sandwich with a bunch of avocado, but like that chili pepper and shit. Oh man,
1: that's the way to go, it man. It does really good. We got to stop doing the the show during lunch. Now I'm hungry, Mike. That was
0: yeah, <laughs> right. right. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us. Beefcake125 with the capital.
4: Yeah, man, of course. I'm excited.
0: So uh, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, The Ultimate Fighter, which you're a coach on this season. So uh, I believe this is the first time you've gone through the show. So what was that process like?
4: Yeah. Dude, it was so awesome. You know, um, definitely one of the best um, like, challenging and rewarding experiences of my career. You know, for sure. And I feel it's an experience I needed at this point in my career, too, just to mix it up. You know, Um, it just made me even, um, I guess, just experience more out of fighting. I mean, fighting for 11 years and doing what I've done and, you know, the ups and downs I've had is such an experience. But getting to look at it from this perspective and coaching and and helping, um, it was just, it was really nice. Like I said, it was challenging, but it was so rewarding and um, felt like it just gave me, like, a new love for the sport a new outlook of it and it was just something very nice and refreshing to, to do it which was surprising because going into it obviously I was, the situation and everything and pushing the fight back and like just the whole um you know format of the show i was a little went into a little bitter like man how is this going to be fun um and like i said it just was really surprised me and you know i'd heard people say they wouldn't want to do it again but for me i was like i just i really loved it you know i just looked at it as a is, is a new job and a new experience in this sport, and uh, I feel like I got the most I could out of it and tried to give my guys the most that, that I could give them as well.
0: Now, the, the theme the show was that it was champions from all these different independent organizations. Was it uh, challenging to uh, coach a bunch of people who were essentially champions in different organizations? Was there, like, a little bit of ego? And some of the guys even fought in the UFC before.
4: Yeah. No, it was... It was um It wasn't hard coaching them as far as, like, technique and stuff goes because, I mean, they already are so skilled. You know what I mean? So that part made my job easy. You know, just, you know, it's like the show, you have six weeks, so it's not where, like, you go in and change fighters from the ground up. Like, I think that would be a lot harder. You know, but the fact that these guys came in already um, skilled and talented, like, it kind of made my job easy, you know, just giving them a little structure. I mean, these guys are world-class. But yeah, like I guess the dynamic of it was a little different because at the same time I looked at these guys as my peers and I'm sure these guys obviously they respected me and I'm glad and I was lucky I had such a group that respected me and you know took what I said to heart and believed in me as like a coach and like a technician. But it was just a little different cuz I look at these guys as my peers but all of a sudden I'm supposed to be their leader and you know kind of telling them what to do so that was a little different is having guys so skilled, like, you know, basically as skilled as me, as a peer, but yet try to, you know, be their leader and just kind of find that balance between being a peer, but also knowing, yes, I'm the more experienced guy and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help, you know, as much as I can. So, yeah, that was different for me because I don't, like, take myself that serious in that manner of like, hey, I should give this person advice or I'm such a leader and I'm such a role model I'm so this, but... You know, it was just—it was just nice. You know, I just looked at myself as, "Hey, these guys are my teammates," and it's kind of about them. And um, you know, just finding that balance between being a peer, but also, you know, lending them a hand.
0: And uh, you actually fought Tim Elliott, and he was—he's on your team on the show. What, was there a weird dynamic there with him in particular?
4: Dude, no, that actually made it so much easier. I think we had such a respect for each other that we knew going in you know that it was going to be um you know that I, I wanted him on my team of course you know respecting him so much not only by fighting but just what he's done in the sport you know i looked at him as the guy going in like hey you know all these other guys are trying to be where he's at you know and you know he's there to prove that he's still one of the best guys and they're they're there to show it but he was a proven guy in there and having fought him man um I just had so much respect for him before our fight and after our fight obviously. And then going in, it was just it was actually really cool getting to know him on a deeper level. You don't really get that with opponents, you know, you see them the week of the fight, maybe a little bit after. I know some people, you know, share some drinks or share this maybe after the fight, but to get to know a former opponent on a deeper level like that for 6 weeks and, you know, become even a bigger part of each other's journeys because he was a big part of my journey as well and there all these guys were You know, um, by just listening to me and uh, and you know giving me the respect and everything that they did, and you know I you know hoping I was a small part of their journey. So to get that with an opponent, um, especially one like Tim, who was already a guy that I liked, um, it was really cool, man. Like I said, just awesome experience.
0: And uh, one of the guys who was on your team, Brandon Moreno, has already gotten his first win in the UFC. Was it prideful to watch him succeed?
4: Yeah, man. Can you believe that? Like. That was the best thing is this guy. I think that just shows how skilled this season of the Ultimate Fighter is. The guy went in as the number 16 seed in the tournament, lost in the first round. But I think it's also a credit to just the show in general and just this pressure cooker they put the guys in is they're just are forced to become better men and better fighters just by doing this. They're so much stronger. You know, They squeeze in so much experience into a short time that you saw Brandon Moreno fight on the first episode and then you saw him and you saw him lose and now you see him, then you see him go out and beat the number nine guy in the world and that was just amazing for me because that was one guy that I feel really, really improved out of the show. You know, having lost in the first round, he could use that as a mini training camp and improve. And um it was just crazy. After that show I said, guys, trust me, the Brandon Moreno now would beat two of those Brandon Moreno's that lost hmm. that first day. And, uh, you know, then he gets his chance and goes in and beats the number nine guy in the world. Um, that was incredible. And he went in as the 16th seed, didn't even make it through one fight of the tournament, goes in and beats the number nine guy. But, um, like I said, I also think that just shows not only how tough the show is, but how much better someone can get on that show. Like, if these guys go in as champions, they're going to come in just double the men and fighters they are, you know, after the show.
0: It makes you think that if he would have been seated differently and thought later in the show he might have had a a different journey through the tournament
4: yeah exactly but it worked out perfect for him and for brandon man i just i don't think it could have happened to a better kid a more lovable guy like anyone on the show could have gone and won um with talent and skill but just the likability of that guy and his story i mean the guy makes pinatas in tijuana mexico goes in beats the number nine guy on the world on a week notice Um, I think the whole world fell in love with him, not only on the show, but then more so after his fight, you know, goes in, gets the bonus, changes his life. And um, those are just the kind of stories you love to see. You know, you don't always see that happen to the right people or sometimes the right people. You know, you don't always get what you deserve. But in that case, it was so awesome to see Brandon, you know, go out and get what he worked for and, uh, and, and what I think he deserved for sure.
0: And one of the storylines is always the drama between coaches. Is it difficult to be around somebody that you're going to fight that much?
4: Yeah, that's the different thing, man. Is um, I don't really dislike my opponents. I never really have or had an opponent dislike me. But you're not spending a significant amount of time with them either. Mm-hmm. It is very foreign to you know spend two months with a guy that you're going to fight. Um, that's trippy because if anything, you see them that week of the press conference, and you know, maybe a promo before that, but it's very spread out, you don't have enough time to, you know, see their character, to dislike their character, dislike their tendencies, all that stuff that actually got to do with Henry. And and, it, and he, he was off to a little head start because I did dislike him a bit more than I would anyone else going into it, but then going into the show and having to spend six weeks with the guy, it's so different because not really fighting and you have eight other guys fighting. So, you know, it's really about them. It's not about your fight. So it really just comes down to, you know, other little things. Like we're not going to sit there and talk about each other's fights and how we're going to beat each other up when, you know, our other guys are fighting. So it's more just, you know, I got to see just kind of how his character, I didn't like him and why I didn't like him and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I wouldn't say it was, you know, I wouldn't exaggerate and say there was any just real, like, hatred or beef. We just, you know, didn't like each other. I think we're complete opposites and, uh, you know, just clash of personalities, if anything, you know. But, you know, I definitely tried to make it more more about the guys. But, I mean, it's tough when you are going to fight someone in five months and you have to see them every day.
1: Joe, this is uh, Elias. I want to come back to that, your own fight, in a second. But I was just curious, um, you're talking about the quality of the participants on this season, I don't know how much you followed in years past uh, the seasons of the Ultimate Fighter, but a lot of times people talk about, like, okay, what are the best, what's the best talent? Like, what, what season had the best talent? A lot of people talk about the first season, maybe that fourth season, the comeback season, or season number yeah. five. Where do you feel this cast, this group of guys, ranks in, in terms of talent and skill of, of seasons of Ult- Ultimate Fighters past?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm putting it right there in the top four or five. The hard thing is with this division, it's yet to play out, you know, like how good the talent's going to be. Like season one is obviously all-time classic. Even season two, I think, produced some great um, talent. Comeback season, that was one uh, one of, if not the first, right, to actually produce a champion, yeah. which this, comp- this competition has a very, very, you know, um, similar, you know, format to the comeback season, which I think was one of the best seasons that need to be done for a while, you know, in the same format, so they switched it up a little bit and did the same thing, but we've produced such great fighters out of that, like, those guys were good, had already been in the UFC, then I think they got better in the show, and you know, then came out, did what they did, Matt Sarah shocked the world, and you know, there holds some resemblance to this season. Um, I think one of the other really good seasons was the lightweight season with, um, with biz being in mayhem as coaches yeah. you know where they had Dotson, tj dillashaw i mean that's another champion that are you know you're able to bring out of tough and you know i think there's only even a handful of those you know champions that came through the tough show so you got to put that one up there you know you get Dotson and tj out there you know perennial title contenders um you know i think that's that's also as a great season but this one's right up there i think if anyone talks you know Obviously, we're going to see how everything plays out, but you know, already having Moreno in there and beat a top ten guy in the world coming out of the show, and um, you know, a, a guy's going definitely going to go for the title. You know, in some of the other guys' journeys, I think when you think of you know the few classes of the Ultimate Fighter, you know, would produce some real talent. This is going to be talked about, you know, um, throughout the show, throughout I, the history of the show.
1: I imagine it will be. I, I'm I'm curious. Where where are you getting your your training and Where are you doing your camp?
4: Um, right now I'm in Denver, Colorado um, with Dwayne Ludwig. I'm getting some work in it, um, Elevation as well um, with those guys. Obviously, you know, um, I live in Las Vegas, actually. Well, actually, not obviously. If people didn't know that. I live in Las Vegas, so there's that. Um, so I obviously get a lot of training in there, too. You know, this is just two months at the time or a month and a half that I'm doing in Denver where, you know, a lot of the time where I'm just maintenance training and I feel and like I'm improving the most, I'm doing it in Las Vegas with um, Robert Fallis, He's a coach of mine. I had him on the Ultimate Fighter, and he's also a personal, you know, would be a personal coach of mine, you know, um, moving forward. Um, I have Jimmy Gifford as uh, a boxing coach in Vegas who's been helping me a ton. And then down here, I use Dwayne Ludwig as my head coach and, you know, mainly do my camps in Denver, but training-wise, you know, it's not fair to say I do my camps here because I'm always training in Vegas. Robert Drysdale, Robert Wallace, Jimmy Gifford, got a strength coach, Brent Browner down there. And I'm just kind of at the point where it's like, you know, I've done this long enough and I've been on a team, being team, I'm alpha Mel long enough with 50 guys and kind of a set coach and a set this and a set that, where I'm kind of just at the point where, hey, you know, I'm uh, – at the point where I can kind of go and do my own things. You know, there's always things when you're in a, um, in a more structured thing, almost like a team where you have to be like, all right, that's when this practice is, that's when this team is, this is my coach because he's the coach where now I'm at the point where it's say, hey, I like this coach, Robert Wallace I like this coach, Dwayne Ludwig. I like this practice, I like this practice. And, you know, just moving it to more individualized. I like these training partners instead of having 50 guys or whatever. And, you know, so I just have a few training partners that I trust and can spar and drill with. And, you know, a few coaches that can put, you know, 100% attention on me, you know, not necessarily a team. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh,
1: That's interesting. And it sounds obviously like you you like the way it's working for you. Do do a lot of guys... Get can get and guys and gals can seem to get lost in the weeds with you know with, with a lot of different specialists and stuff. And it's a tough thing, you've got a lot of people in your ear and you've got multiple cities you're dealing with. Um, what, what keeps it together for you? Do, are you basically like your own head coach where you make the final call? Um, I mean, you're working with multiple striking coaches, different you know, do they talk a lot and they communicate well, or is it basically come down to hey, Joe Jitsu knows himself and he makes the final call in these things?
4: Oh no, I wouldn't say I'm my own coach at all. I mean, you know, that was part of the reason I wanted to do this and you know, bring in Dwayne, you know, more, you know, full-time, you know. Obviously, you know, when I'm living here, he's my head coach and then when I'm in uh Vegas, you know, I look to Robert Fallis and Jimmy Gifford as my coaches and they're both still uh, like I'll I'll be going back to Vegas next week to do another week there and then, you know, continue to mix it up. So no um, it's not by any means, you know, anything I do myself. Like, these are things I picked, and I picked these coaches for a reason because they do hold me accountable, and they can contact with each other, and, you know, they know my style and, and work for it the best and, you know, really just concentrate on me, like, um, you know, and give me as much attention and everything as I need. So, uh, yeah, it's nice, but, no, it's not by any means myself. It's, it's me, myself, kind of on the team, but it's more like, hey, you know, i got these coaches you know, to to take care of me as an individual, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily a team, and um, yeah.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good clarification. Thanks for that. I, hey, when you when you left Team Alpha Male, how did you? How would you say you handled the communication of that? I, I had interviewed Uriah Faber a number of times in the past, and one of the things that he seemed to be bothered by was what he felt was like a duplicity. From or or coyness from TJ Dillashaw when he was leaving saying hey I asked him if he was going to leave he said no and then later you know he said yeah did you learn any lessons from how all of that went down like how did you yourself handle it just in terms of communicating to these guys that you've been with for for a long time
4: yeah it's not really a lesson you know for me it's just you know common sense on you know how to you know I guess treat people and communicate people with people that have been there for you and are part of your you know, world and your career. And, you know, that's all it pretty is for me is I'm pretty much straight up with anything. And, you know, I was training down here, like off and on anyway, I would come and help TJ, you know, cause I still considered him a teammate, you know, even though he wasn't in Sacramento, like we'd been through so much and helped each other, you know, get to where we were. So I was still helping him, you know, and then, you know, my situation, it had been talked to, talked about quite a bit with Faber and just other people on the team you know and you know i think anyone would admit like the team was kind of in before they actually got in um ufc veterans justin buckles danny castillo chris holdsworth as coaches you know we always had a gang of coaches but not necessarily as much as of a, of a structure as like those three took over and honestly before that there was just a little bit where i was um you know where i was saying like hey you know i'm gonna eventually you don't know, have to go do something else and um, I was always straight up, straight up with it, and I was going back and forth to Denver, and then it wasn't until my last fight with Makovsky, where I actually was already in Denver, and I got the call on like a four-week notice, and I was just like, hey, man, you know, enough talking about it. I'm just going to actually try the camp here and, you know, see if I need something different. Told everybody that, you know, I thought needed to, to know, and, uh, and you know, everyone was cool and, and supported, and went on with it felt obviously really great doing that and I said hey this is what I need to do again moving forward you know even for a longer camp and uh, you know that's when I pretty much switched everything and uh, yeah man haven't haven't really looked back and you know as far as like relationships and everything goes I mean the only difference between me and the guys at Alpha Mel is we don't see each other and talk every day but you know everyone's everyone's cool and, and, and nice when, when we see them and I think you know there's still the support and the love there it's just you don't see each other every day, and that you don't know, put the, you know, that changes the relationship in general. If you're not hanging out with someone every single day,
1: I can imagine that. I want to ask you. I, I've been very curious to ask you about your your mentality, your psychology. You've you've built up throughout your career these these huge winning streaks and, and earned your way to the top. Um, and and really, the only only losses you have. Head or at the very top. I'm curious. After after these losses, you had to Demetrius Johnson. What was the key for you, Joe, in getting yourself in the right place mentally to do what you needed to do to get sharp and get back in there? Uh, losing is you know is not easy, and losing and fighting is. Yeah. especially is especially hard um i mean what, what was it about for you what was the what was the key did you get amped up again for another title run did you just say i'm going to i enjoy the day to day so i'm just going to take it step by step like yeah. what, what was the key for you
4: yeah it wasn't necessarily getting pumped up for another title run because or a title fight i should say um, cuz you can't necessarily control that you can control that by winning one fight and you control winning one fight by you know going to practice and improving doing the things you think you need to do to improve, like for me, you know, it's like, all right, I didn't win those title fights, but do I want to go do the same exact thing and expect me to win that title shot the next time? No, that's why I made this change for Denver. It's like, you know, you're doing the same thing and expecting different results. You know, I came to that conclusion, all right, I've lost the title shot. What do I need to do different? And, you know, obviously after every loss, every fight you go do some things different, but you know, for the most part, there was goals I wasn't accomplishing. and. You know, that was another reason I I thought, really, I had to move. So, I think just that refreshment, that realization, you know, gives you this new, you know, step forward. And now, like, on a five-fight win streak. But um, also, it's just controlling what you can control, you know. Like, all right, I can't control if I get another title shot or, or anything or the next fight or the next that. Like, I can just control my, like, day-to-day and make myself as good as I can for to be ready for if that opportunity comes, which, you know, hopefully it's inevitable and it is if I continue just to beat people, you know, if I don't lose, you know, something eventually has to happen. So that's where I'm at now. Like I said, five fight winning streak. So you just got to have a short memory, you know, when you finish the, like after the last loss, it wasn't like, Hey, that guy's better than me. You know, it's like, Hey, I got caught. I didn't necessarily perform to my abilities. You know, I think it would actually be a little more crushing if you, you know, just, like, fought to the best of your abilities and did everything perfect and still, you know, lost. You know, and that's kind of hard because you're just like, man, what else can I do? But for me, you know, especially the way the second fight went, it was very coincidental. You know, you get caught with a shot two minutes in from a guy who doesn't knock people out and a guy me who's never been finished. So, you know, it's also kind of easy to look at that as like, hey, you know, that was a coincidence. That's you know, now it's just time to prove how good you are now five fights after i think i have and you know only getting better still have the fight with Cejudo to prove that and like i said i don't you never see me asking for a title shot or asking for this because you know i don't believe in hey you get what you deserve or or whatever i can control that like that's always the the main goal you know it's like that's the long-term goal it's obviously i want to be the champion you know before everything but that's not what you look at every day you know like it's like the steps and stuff it takes to get there um that i think i was lacking especially in my first title fight with demetrius like i wasn't just on the journey to become it like i just thought like i was just worried about the result so you know just kind of stop worrying about the result the hyper focusing of a title as much as just kind of living in the moment controlling that so by the time i do get there i'm as, pre- as well prepared you know, mentally and physically, technically as I can be.
0: And, uh, if you don't mind, I just had two questions before we let you go back to that delicious sounding avocado sandwich. Um, I already
4: ate that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Good smart, man. What is your, uh, given your relation to the three fighters, what is your, uh, thoughts on the triangle atop the Bantamweight division between Cruz, Dillashaw and Garbrandt?
4: Oh, it's an exciting, exciting triangle. I mean, for fans, for everybody, um, it's cool, yeah. I mean, I have, you know, quite a bit of relationship with each person. You know, I fought Cruz twice, eight rounds. Obviously, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him as an opponent and just the fighter, even from the outside. Um, TJ, you know, former champion and teammate of mine now. You know, more of a teammate now than you know Cody is, who was a. I guess Cody would be a former teammate. You know, still, you know, a friend and everything. So, yeah, man, it's it's a it's different. I'm excited to just see it play out. I hope at some point in some you know way that all three of them get to fight the other two in some way you know might not be you know the first thing or the second thing but I just hope all of them get to fight like a little mini like round robin in some way in the future you know because um, I just think all three of those matchups or however many matchups amongst the three of them we can make are all just uh like amazingly exciting fights to to watch so you know, we'll see who gets the crack first. But like I said, if if it's one and not the other, I hope the other gets it next. You know, and that we just get to see all those guys, you know, fight each other at some point. Like, bantamweight is incredible right now, so it's, uh, it's exciting to see. And yeah, like you said, those three guys at the top uh, doesn't get any better than that.
0: And uh, for those who don't know, you're a big Martin Scorsese fan, and uh, uh, yeah. he's got some projects coming. So I was wondering, out of the projects that he has coming down the pipeline. Which one are you looking forward to the most? Like, doesn't he have a movie coming about Jesus Christ? And then he has, like, of course, a mob movie coming.
4: Yeah, well, he has the one um, with Andrew Garfield coming out. The, it's like, it's basically, yeah, it's like a monk traveling thing. I I, I forgot what it was called, but that's the one. I'm just drawing a blank totally here. But, uh, yeah, that's an exciting one to uh uh, look forward to. I think it should be out by the end of the year, too. So it's definitely like one of the most anticipated ones of the year. And anything, anytime you ever get something new from him, uh, you know, it's great. And I think it's a long term project, like a passion project that mm-hmm. he's wanted for a while, too. So um, that should be awesome. But that one's with Andrew Garfield. And I think he plays um, like a monk or something. It's called uh, Silence, actually. Yeah, so that one's actually, that's the next one up for me that I know of of Scorsese anyway.
0: Yeah, I just think it's going to be interesting to see him break from the mob stereotype that he's, be, or genre that he's become so known for. Well, Definitely. Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Joe.
4: Dude, I love it, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate the time.
1: Best of luck in camp, man.
4: Thank you, thank you. Working hard every day. I know Appreciate it. it.
0: Thanks. There you go. Joseph Benavidez, everybody. Uh, Nice of him to call back after uh, the little hiccup in uh, trying to get him on the first time. Um, Lots of great things to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What a great guest, man. What a great guest. Super smart guy. Really engaging. He talked about everything from food to fights to uh, film. So can't go wrong there, man.
0: And uh, we have uh, some more Conor McGregor audio to go over before we get out to our last guest, Angelo Reyes. So wanted to go ahead and... uh, get started on the more conor mcgregor side of things because i know there's a lot of people uh tuning in to watch that so uh Correct me if I'm wrong, the last thing we played was her advice to Ronda Rousey.
1: Yeah, Yeah, McGregor talking to Rousey, saying, you know, shut them all up.
0: So, uh, to recap for the people who missed it the first time around, this was from a press conference, not a press conference, a a media blitz where he was promoting his role in the new Call of Duty Infinite Warfare game, Uh, and we got the opportunity to talk to him over the weekend, and uh, we recorded the audio, and we were going to play sound bites of it back to you, since he couldn't be on the show live, and... Uh, just to clarify, he was in a conference room, so the audio is not the best, but uh, we wanted to share it with you anyway. So we, he told us earlier what his advice to Ronda Rousey was, which was basically shut them all up and go get back what's yours. Um, so the next one I wanted to do was uh, fighters threatening to retire when uh, they're not getting their way is what I asked him for his opinion on that. You saw Jose Aldo do that with um, when Conor McGregor got booked to fight Alvarez. You saw Khabib give the UFC an ultimatum when he uh, got passed over for the fight against Eddie Alvarez for the lightweight title after getting a contract for 205 and 206. And then you've seen Juliana Pena react the way she has after Ronda Rousey got uh, the title fight against Amanda Nunes, pushing her potential shot down the line, so to speak. And uh, this is what Conor had to say. I mean, tell
2: me one time when crying and moaning. Tell me one time that's good for progression. It's not, oh, I see these people crying and moaning, I mean, where would you be if I wasn't here? You know what I mean? So be grateful. They are even in the conversation. Keep their head down, keep walking. Stay focused, stay positive. That's, that's the way to go forward. Not crying, moaning, complaining. So, um, I can't I engage in that so much I wish them well. But,
0: on some, on different. and I thought that was very interesting that he ended with uh, I wish them well, yeah <laughs> kind of like a a subtle way of being like don't forget who's running running the show um
1: or good luck you know good good luck <laughs> good luck with that, but yeah, he's definitely speaking from a position of on high, right
0: yeah, yeah, <clears throat> so the next question I asked was uh about UFC um, 205. Dana White's been adamant that he's going to have to drop one of the title belts. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the 205 press conference in Madison Square Garden, Conor McGregor said he was going to, it was going to take an army and a tank to get the belt from him. So I asked him, he said, uh, Dana White's adamant that you have to give one up. I know you said you won't, but if you had to, if you were forced to decide between one or the other, which one would it be? And uh, he wasn't necessarily fond of the question, but this was his answer anyways.
2: Look let me let me just wrap the, let, let let me see the pictures on top of the cage with the belt on each shoulder for Do you know what I mean? Let me get up on, on on the side of that opening on and raise two world titles, what's never been done before, inside the Madison Square Garden before talking about stripping me. I mean, let me get the fucking heat, you know what I mean, let me do it. So we'll decide that when the comes and I am not I'm not for or against any of these things, you know. I will always listen to the, the correct business middle. And it'll be always, I'll always do the whatever is, you know, whatever is the correct meal to do. And so, but let me see, let me let me, let me, me do it. And let me go back and let me look at some pictures of me with a few belts. And let me just embrace that for half, of, half a day. a day. I mean? that's Absolutely. What that's what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, and it's the media. It's the media that's making this, these kind of what happens after? Well let me let me chill. Let me let me let me look at the images of, of let me look at the historic images that we're gonna get on this night of me with them few belts. You know what I mean? That's, that's that's what that's what everyone should be excited about. This is history, but everyone's like let's take let's everyone nobody wants to, you know, everyone wants to see you good, but not better than them. So that's that's just what's happening here. So I'm just I'm just looking forward to raising the belt. And so what has not been done before. We'll figure out the correct after that. And and, and I'm not for or against any of the the stuff that's been suggested. I'm all for it. But don't be trying to take away the historic moment before before I've even experienced it
0: and then uh i kind of chime in and i'm like i can't i don't know if i can speak for all media but um i feel like you should be given the opportunity to defend both belts uh i think that you should go um beyond winning it to um actually defending it Mm -hmm. you know him to win the belt and have two and then give one up afterwards seems like it it was you know a formality or a stunt which is i you know I guess people could consider it that way as opposed to having the opportunity to actually, um, to actually defend them both at the same time. You know, if he can hold on to it and make one title defense a featherweight, that really adds a whole other level to the fact that he was a two-weight champion sure does at the same time. And uh, he went on to say, um, uh, is there anyone more active than me? You know, is there anybody who fights as often as I am? And we'll, we'll play some of that right now. Because that's something that's never been done either. I mean, is there anyone more active in the game than me? No.
2: There you go. <laughs> is there anyone in the game that could potentially hold and defend two belts simultaneously? Other than me, there isn't. I'm the only one. So, if I'm active and I'm, you know what I mean, if fair enough of us to be injured after something, maybe end. Eh. But I don't know. Like I said, let me get to my history at moment. Let me enjoy it, and then we'll figure that one out
0: and uh you know the mma fan will say that the only person who fights as active, who's as active is donald Cerrone, or clearly you know there's other active fighters sure. um he's certainly not the only one but he's definitely very active and capable if he were to of course stay healthy yeah i don't know um, if there's a more active champion yeah there's as far he's not as the defending the belt, go, but he's fighting way too right. <laughs> to be yeah. healthy uh, as far as champions go there's certainly nobody who's more active um so then I asked him about 202 that you used to just train uh, you know just focus on that but Mm -hmm. you changed that for 202 bringing in certain people to train with Uh, that were similar body types had similar skill sets Mm -hmm. to Nate Diaz and uh, was this um, is this something you were going to do just for 202 to beat Nate Diaz is this something that you're going to start doing for every fight going forward uh, now and this is what he had to say
2: yeah you know certainly I'm a lot more a lot more specific than I used to be. So even now, like it's, uh, I'm training with a stockier, shorter, you know, much different stylistic opponents than I was in the previous two camps. I mean, the, well, I'll tell you, the last camp, I mean, last camp I was firing midweights, that clear six foot, all cell boss. So, this camp I'm fighting the five foot seven range freestyle wrestler with solid box, okay box, you know, but, and that's, and that's, that's been generous to him because his, his wrestling is not smooth whatsoever there's no beautiful transitions there's no smoothness there's no, there's no in, in his walk, and his, his striking is certainly below par so, but we'll, we'll prepare for for the frame and the specific um, sequences that we may see in the fight but I see him walking up to something really heavy really early and me walking out at
0: MGM Grand. not the MGM. Nice too. nice little Freudian slip with MGM Grand. He's fought there so much recently that he's used to it.
1: Yeah, and he almost paid a compliment to his opponent before, like retracting, <laughs> yeah. it. like no, oh, he okay. doesn't have right.
0: solid boxing. <laughs> um, and uh, then the last question I asked him was: uh, There a point in your career after everything that you were done, uh, you were doing that you decided to assert yourself and your needs more when it came to? Um, Obligations. Uh, obviously, that was a big storyline of why 200 was um, why he was pulled from 200, and ultimately didn't appear on that card. But I was hoping that maybe there was uh, some kind of specific moment or uh, some specific incident that caused like the light bulb to switch outside of uh, him just wanting to get that loss back. And that's what he had to say.
2: I mean, it's been a ongoing battle with the, with the obligations. I mean, it was going on back then, and it goes on now. So. Um, sometimes you just gotta do what's right for you and not what's right for everybody else sometimes so that's what I done the last one but I didn't just turn my back I created my own channels we created the Live, we create this is the MacLive the, the the videos and they'll be releasing again soon in the lead this fight so we we forever stay on the promotion game we we forever push the product we forever push the fight the promotion everything so it's just, it's just,
0: that. it's just, just accepted and appreciated. Um, the accepted and appreciated was a big theme that mm-hmm. he kept reiterating, uh, about the two title belts, you know, in one of the audit clips we played earlier, it talks about like, can we just enjoy this? Like people should be excited that mm-hmm. I'm doing this. Like people shouldn't be upset that. I'm doing this. There shouldn't be talk about me holding up divisions. There should be talk about me doing something that's never been achieved well, I before. I
1: think fans are excited. I think Dana White is talking a whole lot about him not being right. <laughs> holding up divisions. <laughs> um, I'm excited. I mean, it's, it really is incredible. Uh, there's only been a few people that have been able to get belts in two-weight divisions, more than one-weight division, and they never held him at the same time. Well, Dan Henderson did in Pride. Uh but it, it, you know, it's, it's never been done in the UFC. It's 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 an incredible. It's an
0: incredible uh task he, he's put in front of him. Right. And you know, there's I guess some merit to the, you know the discussion's been so much you know the negative side of things and part of that is people like could be even people and Jose Aldo being upset about it. But at the same time he is on the press. I know that I'm more interested in seeing him achieve history than I am concerned about the divisions. You know, let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's let's confront that problem when it gets here. It's not here yet. I don't think it is here yet. And I and I think those things I think
1: different I think those things can exist at the same time. I can want to see him defend against Jose Aldo and I can want to see Khabib get a title shot. And I can also still, at the same time, be excited, that the counter, you know, the counter uh, Alvarez fight. Like it's, doesn't elicit any hatred out of me. Um, all those things are true, In the
0: universe, lots of <laughs> adversarial things can be true at the same time. Um, so we got to run out time. We got to move along onto our final guest, uh, Angelo Reyes. For those of you who don't know, he's the striking coach for um, Frank Mir, uh, amongst other notable fighters. Um, so. Welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time out to talk to us.
5: Oh, I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks. Thanks. This is going to be fun. Uh,
0: before uh, we were talking about coming on the show, you mentioned Frank Meir. So how is he? What is he up to since we saw him in the cage last?
5: Uh, right now, he's weighing 167 pounds. He's in phenomenal... Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say we're quite at fight shape yet, but um, he's been training every day. Um, other than that... He town a lot because he's been doing a ton of seminars. He just signed up for. Um, he's going to be the commentator for uh, uh, an event in Russia, so he's leaving this week for that. Um, but he always comes back, and I always see him, and he, he never misses a practice when he's down here. And we're just you know, overall, he's you know Frank Mir is living the martial artist life. You know, he's we're, caught, we're even when we're not training and we're at his house, we're just constantly talking about karate and and, and boxing and the ways of jujitsu and, and kind of, kind of all the different things he's experienced in his life and how he puts it together and it's actually been really great because Frank right now, as you know, even even though he's not um, he's not actively fighting, uh, he's been doing a lot of mentoring. So he's really been, um, on a ton and also uh, Alessandro Ritchie, um, who's up here from Toronto, doing a training camp up with me. So it's, it's just been really great.
1: Coach uh, Elias here. You I, I was personally shocked when when Frank Mir asked publicly for the UFC to to release him. Uh were you shocked when when he asked? He's he's been in the UFC so long. He was one of the main uh their main most loyal fighters for a long time, a former multiple-time champion uh and a Vegas guy. Were you shocked when it happened?
5: Um I don't remember what was that. It was like uh during I think it was during uh UFC 200 fight week. Um, I think would Frank. He was just frustrated. He, he just he just would like to have an actual conversation with one of the top people. Mm. Um, and you know, I, again, I don't know. I, I, I you have to remember, I've only been in the UFC for the last couple of years, so um, I don't exactly know how that works. Um, so I, I think a lot of it is just frustration in Frank's end, where he feels like here I am. I've given my lifeblood work to this company that he actually loves. Frank loves the UFC. Um, and he, you know, he, it's, it's his home. It's when you think, when you think Frank Mir, you think UFC, It would be kind of weird to actually not think Frank Mir UFC. Cause they've been together. I think there's only been two fights in Frank's entire career record. That was not in the UFC. Um, he still has the highest, I believe, submission and, and, the entire heavyweight division. And I think he's still tied for first and finishes, I think overall. Um, so, you know, it's Frank mirror, man. And and I think he just wants like, uh, Hey, Dana, can we have some coffee or, you know, or maybe even the new owners? Like I don't, I, I asked him, I said, have you even met the new owners or talked to him? He said, no, I haven't. So, um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, um, uh, his management's a really sharp management and Frank's doing a lot of stuff. And, um, I think it's all going to get fixed anyway. So sooner or later, we're going to hear uh, Frank Mir being back in the octagon. Because honestly, this time off, Mike uh, is really giving him a renewed vigor to want to go after that belt, to want to go after that title. Um, his body's healing well. He's, he's I, again, it's not like he's sitting on a couch getting fat doing nothing. This guy, when he's in town, if he's not in Russia or he's not in. Oklahoma or Colorado or wherever he is doing these seminars he is in the octagon with me training working on his karate working on his boxing well, he's working on his MMA grappling he's, 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 there's so many this guy's a martial artist so you know I'm sure it's a little bit like even how George St Pierre like I just heard St. Pierre's interview and um it's like George St Pierre you know he took the time off he feels like he's at the best time of his life as a martial artist so he wants to test it out um and uh and right now i mean believe me man I, I'm, I'm i'm seeing frank moving with you know 155ers and, and, and 170 people people that are supposed to be faster than him and frank's keeping up with all of them and uh, i'm i'm sitting there thinking in my head i would love for us to get a crack at Steve know just right about now, or or whoever the belt holder will be by the time uh, Frank finally gets back in the Octagon, so so all things are good up here.
1: There's a lot of good stuff to unpack there, Angelo. And uh, you mentioned uh, George Saint Pierre, and in after talking about Frank and what you thought was maybe some of his displeasure at, at maybe the UFC no longer being such a small company anymore and having difficulty being able to talk to to top brass about issues or just about anything. Did you? Did you hear what GSP said about uh, his, his negotiations with the UFC kind of going south once the, the new owners got involved?
5: Yeah, I, I, I did hear him say that. Um, again, I don't know the particulars, so we only know what George said. But from what George was saying, it sounded like there was some deadline that needed to be hit. And it even actually sounded like when uh, the Fakitas were still involved, He really felt that they wanted him back, and they were almost there with the deal. And when the new owners kind of stepped in, um, it just kind of, you know, it just kind of changed. Uh, But again, I mean, that happens with any company, right? If if, if a new ownership group steps in and they buy whatever company that you own, then things are going to change anyway. So I think George is just rolling with the punches. But what I was surprised to hear is George publicly saying that he's a free agent because i've always known george to be more of a tactical person so i don't think he would be saying something like that unless it really is true that he really is a free agent so if that's the case oh man george saint-pierre arguably the greatest mixed martial artist uh we've ever seen um definitely top three top four so uh I'm
1: sure any organization would love to have him right now. Going back, coach, to uh to Frank to Frank Mir and um how eager was he to get back in the gym? Because one of the 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 knocks in his reputation deserve it or not. I don't know Frank outside of interviewing him. I've never and seeing him as a great fighter, I've never been in the gym with him. But one of the knocks was especially early, earlier in his career, was that he didn't he relied too much on talent didn't love to be in the gym he wasn't exactly a gym rat how eager was he to get back in the gym from what you saw after his last fight
5: um, you know he took a little time off uh, I mean I, I, I think a lot of different things just again he he wanted to you know I, I gotta tell you like when, when we did I started working with Frank in December of 2014 and, and that's when we did the turnaround where um, you know he started learning the new striking system um, you know, the style that, it, this I mean, again, they've, they've already done UFC uh, countdowns on what it is. It's a hybrid of, of the karate style that both me and Frank grew up with um, and and the boxing that I had learned from Freddie Roach. So, um, you know, we started picking up on that. And as you can see, we had success. We knocked out Silva, we knocked out Duffy, um,